I made a possum stew one time. That was not a fan favorite. Possum is not something I would like want to try to, try to eat. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like if I was starving and there was a possum, I'd probably starve. I don't know if I would. I would break down and eat it. It was real. Uh, we'll say fragrant. <laughs> I did it. Did in it the taste crock the way pot. that it looks. <laughs> I did it in the crock pot, and it stunk the whole house up for days, man. Mm. And uh, my wife is not a fan. Yeah. Welcome back to the Trail Connection Podcast. This week, we're doing a little campfire cooking, and I have with me my buddy Justin Faking, and I wanted to bring him on the show because not only has he introduced me to podcasts and a lot of good local food around the Tampa area and the place that we recorded our last episode on, um, I thought I should probably bring him on as a guest um, with all that information he's provided. So he'd be an asset to the Trail Connection. So welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah. Well, so I uh, met Tim years ago. We worked together at the same company, and I thought that would be a good introductory type conversation to have is we work for a company that has its roots in mining. So in the state of Florida, where we live, there are a couple of significant landholders, and the state of Florida and its various government entities is the first largest landholder in Florida. And I've heard, I haven't fact checked this, so it could be wrong, but I've heard that uh, Florida Phosphate Holdings is the second largest landholding in the state of Florida. And so those are the various companies that comprised that make Florida Phosphates, but the company we work for obviously is one of the largest in central Florida. and so. Having a need for money mm-hmm. um, and having a love for the outdoors and then having them almost contradict each other and that we both choose to maintain employment at a company that some would argue destroys the environment that we love. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you balance that in your mind? Well, for me, um Try not to think about it too much. Uh, honestly, uh, it it's kind of separate. I mean, anyone who really knows what we do in our company, uh, you know, the facts, um, they know that we're, we're very environmentally conscious and we try our best to, to make sure that we're not um, doing any harm to the, the world around us. But uh, there's just a, there's a lot of ignorance that goes around with that. But um, I think that one thing that goes, you know, without saying for, for you and me is we know that uh, in our company does a, a lot to, you know, reclaim the product, the, uh, the land that we mine and, and try to put it back the way that it was and, and uh, provide opportunities for, you know, the communities to, to enjoy that land once, once we're done with it. And um, I don't know if that answers your question at all. I, it's probably not <laughs> at all. Long story is... Well, I, I mean, I think it's it's interesting to think about um, humans being the 
the most invasive non-indigenous species. If you think about, uh, if you want to think about anthropology of the human race and how, you know, we've kind of peopled the world and spread out. And, right. Uh, we've gone all over uh, this continent and looking for a place to to live and a place to be able to, you know, bring forth the next generation and the havoc that we've kind of wreaked along the way is uh, is is pretty substantial when you think about it. You yeah. know, if you were able to get in a time machine and go back, a lot of people argue the times, but say you go back before there were uh, people in, in the New World, right? So before, before you had the European invasion of the United States of America as we know it now, and you look at the landscape, and it was so vastly different because what the settlers in the New World found here that they didn't have in Europe mm -hmm. was natural resources. So you look at these uh, these folks coming over who never saw densely forested trees and they never saw wildlife running around and they never had access to it because the wildlife in Europe belonged to the people who own the land. And so most people in, in the European nations that populated the states, um, they never had access to the wild game resources and the forest resources. And so when they came over, they took full advantage of it mm -hmm. right off the bat. They started chopping down trees. And, you know, if you ever watched the uh, kids uh, movie Pocahontas, <laughs> you see you see a little bit of what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, they yeah. jumping around, digging holes, looking for gold. As soon as they touch the new world, oh, we're going to find the gold. And so right. that's uh, that's kind of where I'm uh, I'm. I always struggle. Like I love to be out here in the woods. And I love to be out in in nature and enjoy it. But just my being there is impactful to it. You know, right. the way we walked in here today. You know, we didn't take a trail. We right. kind of made our own trail. Yep. And so what are we doing? We're squashing bugs and critters and stepping on wood and stuff like that. And we're disturbing the the nature around us. And right. so it's a, it's a conflict that. I have, um, and then, you know, to take that back to our uh, initial con conversation around our employer and what they do, um, you know, I kind very, of... It's very invasive. Yeah, it's it's tremendously invasive. You know, yeah. we do a great job with restoration. We do a good job of putting it back the way right. it was before we got there. But, um, you know, th that's one of those things where you look at what would it be like if that didn't happen? Right. What would it be like if they were never there? What would it be like if we were never there? You know? Right. And um, pardon my crunching. <laughs> Sorry. Throwing some potatoes in the in the fire to get them get them going while we're talking here. But for for me, one of the things that I, you know, I've lived in Florida all my life. Uh, I've seen this area where we live explode. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was growing up, there were cow pastures and orange groves and there weren't houses there weren't 
subdivisions. There weren't grocery stores at every corner. And, right. Um, you know, they recently put in a Dollar General right up the street from me. And it, it kind of like made me sad to think that, man, civilization is is coming out to, yeah. to my neck of the woods. And, um, you know, I can remember growing up never hearing the road traffic from the interstate. And then, you know, there was a point where I realized, what is that noise? Man, that's that's the interstate. Yep. That's traffic on the road. Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, we're sitting out here not that far away from, um, you know, a major highway, um, but also the interstate as well. And, you know, you can't really hear it right now. But you'll hear some plane traffic flying overhead or whatever. But um, at some point throughout the night, you start to hear those semis driving by and, like, all of that invasive traffic that you know just the sound just carries through the woods and it only gets it only gets louder you know the the closer that uh, i mean the further out you get because there's just not a whole lot of sound barrier blockage you know you got you just have the trees and and everything and sound kind of carries through it but you're right i mean i've grown up here in this this area too i mean literally my 32 years on, on earth have been in Benona, Sassa, florida and uh it's it's crazy to watch the areas all around us de developing like crazy, and we're kind of in the last little leg that's hold out that's holding out, you know. Remember the Alamo. It's only a matter of time, but uh, but yeah, it's I I definitely I definitely agree with the the fact that like the probably the older that I've gotten and the more that I've gotten into this hobby of of hiking and camping as I've gotten a little bit older, I've made it more of a priority to, to not leave a trace, you know, when I, when I'm out here, you know, obviously there's going to be a little fire pit when we're all done, but you know, we'll do our best to kind of put like things back. <laughs> we'll do our best to kind of put things back the way that they were, you know, but, uh, um, it's kind of impossible, but, uh, that's definitely something that's important. I mentioned it on previous episodes. Like I'm, I'm really trying to instill that in my kids. You know, as we kind of learn this process together, and and uh, I can start introducing them into doing things in the woods and and all that. Like really taking to heart that you want to leave things the way that you found them. And and uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's one of my most favorite quotes from uh, Teddy Roosevelt. I won't get it right because uh, I just don't memorize things now that we have Google. <laughs> no point in memorizing anything. Right. But uh, essentially he, you know, founder of modern conservation and whatnot, he's, he's got a lot of really good quotes around that conversation. But he, uh, he essentially said that like the greatest good for the greatest number is true and so one of his like he had a lot of opponents who were saying oh the greatest good for the greatest number we should be tearing down these these uh federally owned lands and utilizing them for you know recreation and utilizing them for natural resources and he said that you know that's their slogan was the greatest good for the greatest numbers and so they would use that to try and get people behind hey let's 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 rape the land right mm -hmm. and so he said, you know, the greatest good for the greatest number is absolutely true. He goes, but it's not just now. It's for the children and the womb of time. And I think that's like a really wow. awesome thing to kind of think about because 
you know, we both have kids, right? Mm -hmm. We want our kids to be able to experience this, but they're going to have kids and they're going to have kids and they're going to have kids, Lord willing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how much of this do we expect them to be able to enjoy? And that's, you know, that's one of those things where I look at Florida and, you know, you go back a hundred years and Florida didn't have hardly anybody here. It was, right. it was, you know, kind of populated around the coast, but it wasn't really until air conditioning started and Walt Disney, thank you, <laughs> um, before people started flocking to Florida in, in mass numbers. And, right. and as a result now, like there's housing developments everywhere. Like we look at all of the, the things that humans have done, um, you know, the Everglades. Everglades used to flow a certain way. We built a road through the middle of it. Now it doesn't flow that way. And, you know, a lot of people say that's the reason why we have all the red tide blooms in the Charlotte Harbor area. And mm -hmm. you know, Charlotte Harbor is this huge estuary area. And then that's like crucial for, you know, fishing. If you don't have baby fish, you don't have big fish. And if right. you don't have big fish, people don't come to Florida to go fishing. You know, Florida's touted as one of the largest fishing destination places in the world and yeah. so we thrive on tourism but we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because the more people we we encourage to move here and, and the more the more we damage the natural resources that make us special yeah and yeah. so that it just just north of us here you know there was uh, a road that was connected um so you can kind of get to the Wesley Chapel area if you shoot up 301. The, the new 54. Yeah. yeah, and and I drove that road two weeks ago, and I was looking at all of the landscape, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's awesome to be able to drive down that road and see it. Yeah, that's like Florida, you know, scrubland. Yeah, pasture and cypress trees and oak trees and just all the different like swamp to dryland terrain change. Through, yeah. through this area and yeah. how how long before you start seeing mini malls popping up yeah and that's where that's how I, I go back and justify um, you know our company owning all the land that they do and doing what they do with the natural resources there um, you know at least we're restorative when we go in and yeah. we're invasive and we destroy it we put it back we may not put it back a hundred percent the way it was yeah but we we get pretty darn close and we try and we put away a lot of money into, into that restoration process. Right. And, um, you can't say that about a condo developer. You yeah. can't say that about a theme park. Right. You can't say that about anything else that the tourist industry does. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I justify it that way. Like if we didn't do it, somebody else would, mm -hmm. and at least we're responsible corporate citizens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you clarified that because I wasn't sure exactly where you were going with it at the beginning, but it, it makes makes a lot of sense, and I agree. I mean, there's I was just thinking about this the other day. I was driving through uh, another section of Tampa that's not that old. It's probably been developed in the last 15 years or so, 10, 10 15 years, but it's already starting to look like run down a little mm -hmm. bit, and they've already popped up five miles away from there with like a brand new shopping mall and new you know there's just you drive two or three minutes down the road and they're already developing something new and making it look clean and crisp and um, I mean we just we just let everything deteriorate and just instead of revitalizing that 
like even from the urban areas where we're developing, we let that kind of kind of fade and, and crack and all that and then move and build something brand new that's five minutes closer for convenience. Yeah. And then we end up just developing all this land that's naturally beautiful around us. And then you drive through like the slums of Tampa that are just, it's starting to erode, you know, instead of spending the time and, and money investing in places that are already developed and revitalizing those um, and making them unique to make people want to travel to di- travel the distances to get to them. We just put up a new, you know, Starbucks or a new whatever, you know, five minutes down the road on the other corner. So you don't have to make a U-turn. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's it's a little disheartening when you live in a an area that's so populated and it's such a uh, metropolis. Uh, whenever you're someone like you and I who love the outdoors and want to enjoy it and relish it, um, you know, I fear for this area just being so overly developed. My kids aren't even going to be able to walk in the woods that I grew up in, you know. Yeah. So I think that... Like, like I mentioned, we're kind of on the little holdout section, um, and it, it may be several more years. My kids might be in their teenage years before they start blowing up this area out here, but uh, I thought that for the longest time that road you were talking about wouldn't connect because it was part of the, the protected property or privately owned property along two major roads in the middle of it, and uh, you just got to name the right price for, for these people. and then that land is, is sold. Or, or weigh them out, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah. Joe somebody owns the land and then he gets old and dies and then his kids take it and his kids don't have the same value in it. And right. so they say, yeah, let's split it up, sell it off. We can make a killing. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. do that three or four times and next thing you know, you've got New York City. Right. Yeah. And what, what I, I mentioned it you know, a little bit in the last episode, we're out at Colt Creek, but when you were telling me about that place and we were talking about the history of it, it it made me appreciate that even more because you go out there and you see that beautiful park and all these areas that they, they've got cut away that, you know, people can enjoy now. Um, but, you know, that, that family had an opportunity probably to make a ton of money if they sold it to a developer or something like that but you know selling it back to the state and allowing that area to be turned into a protected land that other people can enjoy um i wish that there was there were more opportunities like that because i think that some people you know if they've got that property in their family and they're able to keep that in the family that's that's great but if if for some reason you can't hold on to it you know it would be I think it would be beneficial to kind of share that with with others and like its natural state and not <laughs> blow yeah. it up into the next outlet mall. Yeah, and I mean along those lines, like there are uh, particularly out west, there's a bunch of uh, nonprofit organizations who specialize in finding willing buyers and willing sellers and yeah. getting them together and trying to make that happen. So out west, you've got all these public lands that are kind of checkerboarded across the. The landscape and so uh, you may not have access to a significant section of it because there's no public roads to go through it's all bordered right. by you know landlocked yeah and so uh, there are nonprofits out there who are actively trying to remedy that situation and, and get more people access to the the wild, you know, yeah. and the, the more people have access to it, the more people they can enjoy it, and the more people 
hopefully we'll realize the value of what we have. Yeah. You know, that we're not, I, you know, I think Canada is probably similar to us, but we are one of the few nations in the world who has publicly held lands and values them. And, mm -hmm. you know, state parks, county parks, you know, national parks, there's every level of government mm -hmm. uh, kind of works towards creating open places for people to, to enjoy nature. And, and yeah. I think that's that's what sets us apart. And yeah, we just have to be cognizant of that. You know, when we do have the opportunity to vote for elected officials, kind of, you know, I think everybody votes along certain issues, but at the end of the day, most of the time people vote with a party. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of those things where you, and for me, like I'm, I'm conflicted because generally speaking, like I love guns mm -hmm. and I'm a blue blooded redneck, you know, I love America. Yeah. But at the same time, some of the, the people who represent most of what I enjoy about America don't represent all of what I enjoy. Right. And so it's finding a balance. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's really something that, that if you're not tuned in, if you're not paying attention, you can lose this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. And, um, and it's hard too. I mean, not, not to jump into the whole politics discussion, but I mean, it's, there's a lot of dishonesty and a lot of, uh, corruption and, and, you know, they're all human and they want to, they want to get to their point and get elected and then do what they, they want to do yeah. their agenda. But, you know they're they are public servants and and for the most part need to be representing what the people that elected them are asking them to do or want them to do and uh, I, I'm kind of the same way. I mean most of most of the things that are important to me uh, align with uh, you know with the the folks that I support. But uh, you're you're right. I mean it's there's always something. There's always something that kind of goes along with it. You're not going to get a perfect representative but uh, I think that the, the more that the more that people are um, aware of what is what's going on and, and where this people stand and what they represent um, and as long as you're making educated decisions I mean it is what it is fortunately it's it's only for a short period of time We've got a couple years and then hopefully they, they move on and we get some fresh meat and fresh blood to, to do it yeah. serve but uh anyway yeah there's a there's a there's a more of an importance now like i mentioned that i'm getting a little older and a little wiser about uh wanting to protect and preserve you know the, this kind of thing from from my kids and for their friends and for my their their kids and i'm just hoping that um it works out the way I'm planning and they, they care about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right now it looks like it's working that way, but you know, anything can happen. I'll yeah. buy them an Xbox or something for Christmas and then they'll change, change their life. Jury's still out on my kids. <laughs> I took so. my daughter hiking a couple of weeks back. Not too far from here. Very similar terrain, but it's a manicured trail. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she wore her little slipper flats 
and I tried to get her to wear tennis shoes, and she wouldn't wear tennis shoes. We get out there, and we weren't maybe 10 minutes down the trail. She said the grass was itching her feet. So I always keep toilet paper or napkins or something along that in my backpack, and I was able to make some little socks out of out of toilet paper for her feet. <laughs> and I got her to, to hike along for another 30 minutes, but she was, uh, as that toilet paper started to tear, mm-hmm. she went right back to, we got to get out of here. Yeah. So anyways, that was a heck of an intro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... My meal's pretty much done. <laughs> what did you uh, What'd you bring to cook today? Oh, I've got some kebabs, and uh, and I've got some sausages. So I think I'm gonna grab those real quick. Okay. I'm gonna have to take this mic off. All right. Well, while you're getting set up, I'll talk a little bit about what I got going on here. So I got myself a little filet mignon this morning, um, fresh off the supermarket shelf, and. Uh, Got it seasoned up with a little bit of salt and pepper and um, some Montreal uh, spice. And uh, I got a couple of these little things. MSR makes these great little uh, multi-seasoning containers that are real, um, they're airtight, they're real lightweight. And uh, these things have been great. They come in like a, a half and half where you can do salt and pepper in one end and, and one in the other. And then they've got the full tube that you can fill up with uh, with the full spice. And I've got a little little pouch here with several different spices that I, I bring out here whenever I, I get the opportunity to cook. And uh, so I got my steak that looks like it's getting pretty close to the way I like it. And then in my little tinfoil pouch here uh, that I talked a little bit about on episode two, little Weber pan. Um, I've got some um, little white potatoes that I threw some olive oil on and salt and pepper and that same Montreal seasoning and they're roasting down there in the fire. And I also did this little number. I wanted a baked potato this morning, but I didn't want to wait forever for it to cook and then it not be done. So I went with the small potatoes, but I've got all the fixings here for, uh, for baked potato. So I'll share with you if you want some baked potato stuff. It's sour cream cheese, and uh, I use the little to-go containers to, to divvy it up there and keep it all separate. Um, some people get pretty creative with how they package this stuff. Typically, if I'm coming out here uh, for one night, I'll kind of go to this extent, you know, with uh, with bringing extra little fixings and things like that. But um, on the uh, the multi-day trips, I'm I'm sticking to a freeze-dried mountain house meal and boiling water uh, so not to worry about keeping meat cold and and keeping it from spoiling and all that but um but yeah i've got this nice little grill grate here uh, that i've mentioned before um, and uh, the thing works out really well i've got the aluminum tent pegs that are uh, holding it up and rake some coals out underneath that and um, a couple more minutes I'll be cutting into the steak yeah, so you mentioned your seasonings. Um, if you don't want to spend the money on uh, individual containers, what I've done in the past is uh, taken an old, old uh, spice jar, mm-hmm. just pre-mixed my own blend of salt, pepper. I, I, I like the Holy Trinity, salt, pepper, and garlic powder. Yeah. Uh, and 
if you read Montreal or any of the major spice blends. Yeah. That's mostly what's in there anyways. And so I, I will do some coarse ground pepper, sea salt, mm-hmm. some garlic powder, and, and just mix it up in a single container and just throw that in my bag. Yeah. You can uh, tape the lid shut to make sure that it doesn't, you don't know, have a nice little screw on one. You know, mm-hmm. Tape the lid shut, a little piece of scotch tape works great. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's a little life hack. A little life hack. That's nice. Oh, I've got uh, I've got some refined weenie roasting here. <laughs> this is a, an, an adult version of a hot dog roast. So I've got some uh, of these. Better with cheddar smoked sausage. So those have the uh, the cheddar infused in them. Yeah, yeah. So something to. I remember eating those when I was ten. Yeah, something to <laughs> explode in your mouth when you bite into it. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I don't. I'm trying not to do too many of these uh, product pitches early on because I don't want to seem desperate at all. But this this ice mule ice mule cooler um, works out really really well for these little overnight trips and stuff. Um, you know, you can keep drinks or meat, whatever you got to need, whatever you need to keep cold uh, in there. You throw some ice or some of those ice packs in there, and they're uh, pretty well insulated. But um, I love it. You know, it's got a little little strap on it, so you can throw it over your shoulder if you need to, and it's light enough. It's kind of like a dry bag setup where you kind of put your information, your your stuff in there in the bottom, your ingredients in the bottom, and then roll it up and snap it in the top. But uh, nice little tote. It's pretty pretty good product. Yeah, and, and obviously we're not uh, spending the night tonight, so yeah, I didn't throw my kebabs in there. Yeah, they were uh, cool when I wrapped them up in foil and. I just do them in my backpack. Yeah. So, um, we were talking a little bit ahead of time, trying to line up some topics for discussion today. And, and Justin mentioned that uh, there's some benefit to simplicity whenever you're you're coming to spend some time out in nature and, and cooking a meal. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that uh, to go right along with what we started with, you know, leaving a little impact. You don't want to be dragging a bunch of stuff out because the more you bring out, the more you have to remember. And mm-hmm. you know, there are times where you don't get it all right. And so, uh, if you can prepare your stuff ahead of time, if you can, you know, marinate uh, marinate your meat and get it ready to go so you're not having to try and do it out there and bring in all the ingredients with you that's mm-hmm. that's an easy way to do it and then you know simple meals like what we've got today meat and potatoes mm-hmm. and nothing fancy nothing elaborate and i think it was early on maybe your first episode where you said everything tastes better when it's tainted with camp smoke so yeah that's true the uh the and, and then you can get creative you don't have to you don't have to think that oh, there's all I can ever have is hot dogs and charred meat. Yeah, <laughs> like, you can you can get creative. Uh, you've mentioned cooking fish, and mm-hmm. chicken, steak. There's all sorts of things you can do. Yeah. One of the things that's kind of tough though about campfire cooking is regulating your heat, right? So yeah. when you're cooking in the oven, you set the oven for a set temperature. When you're cooking on the grill, most grills have a little mm-hmm. thermometer on there, and so 
you know, food safety is important, as is anything, and uh, making sure that you're cooking your stuff long enough and that you're not going to expose yourself to Montezuma's revenge <laughs> while you're on the trail somewhere. So, uh, you know, when in doubt, stick to stuff that's not going to make you sick if you undercook it. Right. If you've ever watched any episodes of uh, that show, Monsters Inside Me, mm-hmm. I think like one in five is uh, a result of undercooked pork. So. <laughs> yeah, I have yet to, uh, to bring pork or pork chops out here and I don't really plan on it. I'm a big fan of pork. I like it, but for that very reason, I, I it scares me and I don't want to have a, a gut yeah. bacteria or something growing inside of me. But I was thinking about that too. Um, yeah, this morning actually, uh, you mentioned regulating the heat. Yeah, for this, I mean, I didn't bring a, I don't have a meat thermometer. I typically don't use that even when I'm grilling at home. Um, I just kind of throw either side of the meat for several minutes, you know, and then cut into it to see what, what we're at. With, with the steak specifically, I like mine a little bit more medium rare, uh, medium, medium rare. But uh, I usually try to get it a little bit more well done when I'm out here in, in the woods. But um, I just cut into this one and I, I've got a little bit longer than I thought. But uh, that's because my, my coals are cool enough. So I've got uh, this little setup outside the base of the fire and obviously you pull your coals away from the base of the fire they're going to cool off a little bit quicker. So it's kind of like charcoal cooking. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I'm not a huge fan of, of using charcoal grills but um, you got to get everything that's got to be on there for a long period of time and time on early and uh, let that go you know full full time before you run out of fuel and um, I've been spoiled with propane. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. it's something, there's something to be said for taking a long time to cook your food, right? Yeah. It gives you an opportunity to enjoy it, you know? If you're starving when you finally get that first forkful, you know, right. it tastes so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got to get some more coals in here. This is... So I think another thing that, along those lines, another thing that you can do is if you're worried about cooking your meat through use smaller cuts so you've got a pretty big slab of meat right there yep um when i throw the kebabs on i'll i'll show you i intentionally try to get the meat and so i did chicken and i did steak and then i tried to get the meat small enough so that it would be easy to cook through right you you get a decent get a decent coal underneath it and give it you know 10-15 10-15 minutes it should it should cook through pretty quickly so mm-hmm. uh, the the bigger the chunk that you're trying to roast the more heat you're going to need to get that thing cooked all the way through and then if you're not able to if you're not able to control or regulate the temperature um, you're going to wind up with it being real charcoaly on the outside and yeah. gooey on the inside and yeah that's cool when you're making s'mores, but it's not necessarily the coolest thing <laughs> not, ever Yeah, not the greatest surprise. Not the greatest surprise to bite into when you got a raw chicken in the middle. <laughs> it's probably one of the nastiest textures ever is undercooked chicken. Slimy raw chicken. Yeah. Um, another little trick that I, I do for this um, is basically build another little fire underneath it. So I get the coals underneath it. Um, and let it cook for a little bit. But as the, 
the heat kind of dies down, then I'll grab some small little twigs and actually try to rekindle the fire underneath the meat um, to get it going again. But you're going to have to take my word for it, but I've made some pretty good stuff out here. <laughs> I think uh, it normally turns out pretty good. And to your point about being hungry whenever it's done, um, you know, this place that I, I typically come on my own is only a few minutes behind the house. I mean, we're talking about maybe a 30 minute walk, 45 minute walk tops. Um, and I usually get out here about an hour or two before dark. Um, and, uh, so I got enough time to get a fire going, get my meals started, um, while I'm setting up my camp, but about the time that I'm ready to eat, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hungry. So anything tastes good, but, um, uh, the seasoning and the and just the smoke from the fire and I think a little bit of the 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 environment the ambient area around you um, really adds to the experience. Kind of like atmosphere in a good restaurant, you know, romantic setting with your wife can make uh, can make things a little bit nicer, even though the food's not that great. Mm. Uh, I'm getting a good atmosphere right now. <laughs> smoke in your yeah, face. Smoke in my face. So I've got my little telescoping fork here. That's nice. I uh, I bought these on Amazon years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. There's a thousand brands of them, right? So yeah. It was like an eight pack, and it was uh, super cheap. So if I break it, I'm not too concerned. But uh, it really is handy. To, mm -hmm. uh, it's portable. I brought two of them out in my backpack, and uh, you can pull it up collapse it you can use it for so many things you can use it to stir you can use it to roast a weenie you can use yeah. it to essentially stick anything over the fire and then you can sit there and spin it like a rotisserie so nice. it helps helps while you're cooking see what man it's uh mm. I thought these potatoes would be a little bit more done than the way they are right now I'll have to get some more wood on here for your kebabs. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to build a bigger fire. This, uh, this cheese is lava. <laughs> cheese is lava. I was hoping that you'd bring some of that uh, that deer you got. Yeah, I um, I was I was really planning on it. I just didn't have any deer sausage made up yet. Mm-hmm. That's what actually what's on my uh, agenda for this week is to make some some sausage. I'm going to do some sausage, some some summer sausage, and uh, probably some jerky. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't have. I only had like two more little steaks left, and I'm I'm out. So yeah. I shot two deer this year, and it goes fast. Yeah. When you, when you share and when you're sharing food, like, mm -hmm. it goes fast. And so I've got, I've got probably 15, 20 pounds of ground meat left, but yeah, unless you're going to do like a hobo stew. Have you ever done that campfire? No, nope. um, that, that's probably something uh, that I will try though. Cause it's, it's so, you know, the more that the temperature drops a little bit and I camp a little bit more frequently, um, you know, nothing is better than good, good cup of chili or something bowl yep. of chili on a cold night um 
So yeah, I would like to do that. I actually want to try uh, making my own freeze-dried food. So there's a lot of different products out there, you know, all different brands. Um, but essentially, you know, it's just uh, healthy ingredients that are freeze-dried in the packet. And you add hot water to, to rehydrate them. And I mean, I eat like, some of those meals at Like the at little work. cups of macaroni and cheese? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually, I've got a desire to, to do something like that, but um, soups or little stews would probably be a little bit better. You know, throw them in like a mason jar or something or some kind of, yeah. one of my Yetis or something, and then uh, bring them out and put them in one of my pots. Yeah, you can actually do uh, like a hobo, hobo stew just with foil. Mm-hmm. So you put all your ingredients in there, kind of make a little foil bowl, pour liquid, whatever you want on there, mm-hmm. and then crimp it up. Do just like you do with your potatoes. Throw it in the in the coals. Yeah. Let it cook. Uh, the key is to not let it burn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everything uh, I've got there, and I've got uh, two kebabs with steak, two kebabs with chicken, and then one of my absolute favorite grilled vegetables is the zucchini and squash varieties, and it's just. Uh, Oh, yeah. You see that? That's mm-hmm. that one. <laughs> it's just something about uh, about that zucchini and squash texture where you get the nice thick rind and then the mushy inside. Yep. And to kind of get it hot, lava hot over a fire, that's great. I love grilling it. I love cooking it, roasting it like that. Uh, I'll even broil it in the oven. But uh, I start simple. So salt the meat, kind of let it sit with uh, the salt for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back and I will cut it up in cubes. Then just a light, light olive oil. Hit it with coarse ground pepper mm-hmm. and garlic salt or garlic just to round out the holy trinity. Nice. And uh, do the same on the, same on the, vegetables then throw them up on the kebab sticks best part about the kebabs is nothing to clean up yeah you can burn your sticks when you're you done get, you get your your food you get your utensil you get your pot and pan yeah all that and then when you're done you just throw it in the fire and be done it's nice How's that steak? It's awesome. All it was is a little bit of salt and pepper and some of that uh, regular, like, Montreal seasoning. Nothing fancy. But uh, a little bit of smokiness to it. Crispy on the outside. Very tender on the inside. That's my go-to meal out here. Nothing says... You're a man more than cooking a piece of steak in the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I'll, I'll do you one better. Killing your own steak. There you go. Yeah. That, cooking it in the woods. Not quite to that, uh, that caliber saw, yet. I saw a squirrel on the way in, man. We could have had squirrel today. Yeah. I only brought my slingshot. I would have been down for that. I've only had squirrel once in my life. It was deep fried. And it was 
pretty good, but uh, that's that's something I want to try again. Yeah, I've done squirrel a number of ways. I've done squirrel with uh, kind of like a light flour breading and then pan fried. And then I've done like a squirrel stew. Mm -hmm. I made a possum stew one time. That was not a fan favorite. Possum is not something I would like want to try to, try to eat. <laughs> it's one of those things that's like if I was starving and there was a possum, I'd probably starve. I don't know if I would I would break down and eat it. It was real uh we'll say fragrant. <laughs> I did it. Did in it the taste the way pot. that it looks. <laughs> I did it in the crock pot and it stunk the whole house up for days, man. Mm. And uh my wife is not a fan. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> So I got this thing uh, right here. It's a pretty neat little tool that I picked up. One of those uh, those Amazon suggested buys whenever you're uh, shopping for stuff. It was a little bellowing tool. It's a telescoping. It's basically an old car antenna that you know pops out. But this thing works really great for getting down and getting some air into the coals. And uh, I was looking for it earlier, and that's why my face was down on the ground because I couldn't find it. But then dug it out of my back pocket but I love this thing because it allows you to kind of get some of the flames going again without putting your face right down in the coals and getting all that smoke and ash in your face but uh, these are great little stocking stuffers I, uh, I gave Brad one of these last year for Christmas it's like a seven dollar gift but yeah. it's pretty nice for an avid outdoorman who would who camps a lot Anybody I've taken camping with me and I've shown them this thing, they're like, dude, that's a pretty cool little tool. Where'd you get that? And then they get one. Yeah. Because they're not that expensive. So. <laughs> I told you my philosophy on making fires. Start with a handful of charcoal briquettes. Yeah. Some lighter fluid, then build your wood around that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's always impressed. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping these potatoes get some uh, tenderness to them because I'm... I keep staring down at this cheese and bacon and sour cream and I want some. They're not quite there yet. I've got kind of a touch and go relationship with potatoes. Sometimes like, they turn out awesome and I don't really have to really have to give them too much too much maintenance while they're on the fire. But other times like today, it's like you get one soft one and the rest of them are crunchy and then you just deal with it because you already pulled them out of the fire. Yeah. Yeah, I've done baked potatoes a handful of times. Just wrapped them in foil and dumped them in the in the coals. Mm -hmm. But it's it's one of those things where it is kind of touch and go. Like Sometimes you get them just right and most of the time you get them with a big burnt spot on <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget it, man. When I was uh, probably 10 years old, 11 years old, we had a group of guys from church go up to uh, Lakewood Retreat to do uh, like a weekend camping trip. And um, the guy who was kind of organizing it, my dad went, went with me and several of the other dads went with the other guys. And 
this one guy who was there with us, who was just working with the, the group, um, he just he ran to like Sam's or Costco, whatever is available like uh, close by, and bought a bunch of New York strips and like a case of butter. And like all he brought was salt and pepper, those steaks, tin foil, and the butter. And we literally just like rubbed every single one of those pieces of meat down with butter and threw them in the tin foil in the fire. And that was one of the best steaks I've had, but that was probably one of the most unhealthy yeah. pieces of meat I've ever, <laughs> ever put in my body. Because Sounds we had like our friend Larry. Yeah, we had so much butter on that thing that um, I've tried cooking them like that again you know as i as i got a little older but could never get them to turn out quite quite the same and honestly i just kind of hurt my stomach putting that much butter on yeah <laughs> so. yeah but um i have to turn my kebabs here in a second sometimes you time it right and you can eat your meal of all together, but sometimes you just gotta eat one piece of ingredient at a time. <clears throat> so I've always been fascinated by like that smoke follows beauty thing. Have you ever Never heard, heard that? Heard that expression? Mm -mm. So they say smoke follows beauty. So when you're I'm not that attractive, so I don't hear that that much. <laughs> But I, I heard sometimes, and I, I haven't done any research, so maybe somebody out there that has more time than me uh, or more desire to know the truth will write in and say. But I've heard that actually when you're sitting around the fire, um, like you being there actually creates a disturbance so that it, like wherever you go around, the, you know, you ever seen wherever you go around the fire, like the, the smoke's kind of always there yeah. in your face. So yeah. Just you being there creates enough disturbance so that like there's some sort of turbulent flow going on and actually affecting the wind pattern. Yeah, and then with the thermal difference, like the hot air rising and so it's kind of like going it's always gonna blow the smoke right in your face. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's something that I've heard never cared enough to confirm. But it sounds cool, right? Yeah. If you sell it. Yeah. You just have to have that confidence to sell it. <laughs> You can sell a lot of crap, but it's uh, not true by doing that. It's true. That's how car salesmen have jobs. Right. So I know some of your other guests have given their uh, their credentials as to why they uh, have been included. So I figured I'd take the liberty. Yeah. To yeah. I'm sorry I didn't credentials. ask. I should have been a better, more gracious host and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> actually <fine>. introduced you. <laughs> that's fine. So uh, I I really I don't have any experience hiking on trails per se. I've never done the Appalachian Trail thing. I've never um, done anything more than just kind of uh, recreated, general recreation in the out of doors. And, um, you know, I've never really had a lot of interest in it because of where we live, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that's foreign to where we grew up. And so uh, I did spend a lot of time as a kid camping we had uh, we actually had this conversation earlier we had um, so my mom was a school teacher and we every year during the summer we would take a family vacation and we for a couple of years tent camped mm -hmm. kind of from here to North Carolina and back and then we bought a pop-up camper and we 
took that pop-up camper up and down the east coast all the way up to Canada. I think we did that two or three years in a row. And, and then just generally camping here and there, weekends yeah. weekends around here, state parks and whatnot. And, um, has always enjoyed being outside and being, um, you know, in, in nature. And kind of my uh, love for nature manifested in a different way in that, you know, I always wanted to, I, I started taking interest in hunting and, and being able to enjoy nature and then be able to, you know, put some food in the freezer at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I have uh, been on my own little journey for the last couple of years because I grew up in a family that we were gun friendly, but we weren't necessarily hunters. We never really did a lot of, uh, we, we never did big game hunting. We never really did a lot of, uh, small game hunting either. You know, periodically we would do birds or whatnot, but we never, never went, uh, rabbit hunting or anything intentionally. We, we mm -hmm. grew up around here with some acreage and so we would small caliper, firearms and just being out there and shooting things and but for me like it kind of took a, a, a I kind of developed a, a further interest in it when it started being more less about killing an animal and more about eating it yeah and so that's where I, I'm at now is I am fascinated by trying different things so that conversation we had a few minutes ago about the possum stew right so yeah. I had an opportunity to to take a, a possum, I didn't actually kill it. It was a roadkill. No, it wasn't <laughs> roadkill. I'm not above that though. Um, sorry, the smoke is yeah choking me out. I'll move over here so the beauty can <sighs> yeah bring it over. But I'm putting these potatoes in the microwave because they good taking too long. All right, so you were saying. That you uh, were getting into hunting, kind of the same same way that I've been pursuing this knowledge of hiking and backpacking and things of that sort. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I remember when you came back over from Bartow, I was having a conversation about, this was right when you were starting to get into hiking, you had your ambitions of canoe camping on Cayo Costa or whatever it yep. was, and Yep. Um, I was talking about how I wanted to do a, a wild west, out west backpack hunt, mm -hmm. a hike and hunt, and so um, you know we're we're both kind of coming up at the same time and and exploring. And I guess you know some of the stuff you talked about in the first podcast about life stages and and being able to kind of um, feel out some new territory and mm -hmm. find some it, balance it's along the same lines for me but it's it's really uh, something I'd always been interested in was to, to hunt and I've been fascinated by the culture I've always enjoyed being outside and um, it's one of those things where if you're not born into it it's kind of hard to break into it right and um, so I uh, had the opportunity to, well, the first step was getting my hunting license. And so you have to take the hunter safety course and mm -hmm. um, doing that, I uh, 
several years ago I was sick I had the flu and I could barely function and I was sitting on the couch for three days running like a hundred plus fever mm-hmm. and uh, I decided at that time that I was going to do my hunter safety course online there you go and so I sat there watched Alaska State Troopers and did my hunting safety course life gives you lemons mm-hmm. <laughs> so after I did that I needed a place to hunt I needed to hunt for something mm-hmm. so deers like the um, the thing everybody wants to hunt a deer yeah and so I um, started looking for opportunities and met up with some guys that we work with that had uh, same ambitions and was able to get in on a little hunting lease with them never actually shot a deer there I only saw one deer in three years wow. on the lease but I learned a lot of things I learned mm-hmm. you know I learned 99 ways not to hunt deer <laughs> yeah yeah and along those same lines I, you know I, because I wanted to be successful so bad I wanted to learn everything I could so I was reading books I was listening to podcasts I was watching uh, shows and I was all over YouTube um, and so three, four years ago, four years ago, we, uh, we went to my wife's family's property in Virginia and, um, Thanksgiving morning, I was sitting in the tree stand there and, and, you know, I had been studying and everything and I was able to, uh, pull the trigger on a nice buck mm-hmm. and, uh, I had no idea what to do next. You know, it's one of those things that you kind of just learn it by feel. Right. And so my uh, my wife's uncle's there, and he's like, oh, you going to skin it out? I'm like, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> he has no cell phone service at his property, so I'm like, I'm going to have to go for memory on this sucker. Mm-hmm. So I did. I hacked it up. In hindsight, I feel really bad that I wasted a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to get conservatively 30 pounds of meat that I was able to turn into sausage and yeah. steaks, and we ate it. Um, but I was, like, so proud of being able to take an animal from the field right. to the fork, yeah. you know, and, and being able to do that. And so... I, you know, it's something that's, it's along the same lines of hiking the Appalachian Trail, right? Mm-hmm. You, you think about like, man, that's, that's really cool. I'd love to do that, but I need to buy a backpack and I need to yeah. get boots and I need to get this and I need to get that, a tent and sleeping mat and what yeah. do I need? What don't I need? And mm-hmm. it's the same, same thing. So, you know, from my perspective, like, yes, it is a lot of work and yes, it is, it is, can be very daunting, but if you take the the step of you know that leap of faith and mm-hmm. just jump into it feet first like there's a uh, now more than any time in the time you know in all of time mm-hmm. like there's a, so many resources available yeah for folks like us because yeah. of the internet because yeah. of youtube because of people like you doing this podcast like there are, there are so many opportunities to learn and to to get that experience that you need and that support group really yeah um to to get into something like hiking or hunting or anything like that yeah uh, i would not say that i'm an expert hunter 
I will say that um, I know vastly more than I did five years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that after the, like the natural progression for me was, hey, I shot a deer with a, a gun and now I want to shoot one with a bow. And so this past September, I was able to shoot a deer with a bow. And, That's awesome. Um, you know, that was that was a really big monument for me. It's like you're your first hike on the on the Appalachian Trail, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, that's huge for you. Yeah. For me, that's like a big milestone. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's you're exactly right. That's you got to start somewhere, and you know, best way to eat an elephant one piece at a time. You know, I I definitely didn't think that um, going on that first trip would kind of develop into a podcast and a YouTube channel and stuff like that because at the at the time I was just dealing with you know processing through this challenge that I had in my adult life <clears throat> but along the way you know I kind of saw an opportunity to kind of to jump into a little bit more but yeah the whole the reoccurring theme through this uh through this podcast has been you know just do and try and like you know you don't have to be an expert hunter or you know have access to you know 5,000 acres of you know prime hunting land you know get started with uh, what you can and go where you can and you're probably going to spend a few seasons where you don't bring home anything but it's the experience of getting up early and getting in the stand and taking the hike out to the spot and learning what not to do Um, there's a lot of trial and error and I mean to the point about the YouTube generation I mean there's so many people out here doing exactly what you know you want to be doing, and showing you their shortcuts and their um, the tips and tricks that they've found to to do it their way, and um, you know that's that's all I'm trying to do is just uh, work through the kinks that I'm I'm finding and uh, bring people along that have have a little bit more experience than me. They may not be experts either, but they might have a different perspective or a different way of doing things and, and learn from them. And, um, it's a really cool time to be alive. I mean, you know, there's, you think back to older, older generations and different points in history where, you know, if your family were tailors, then you were a tailor. Like you just grew up learning what your family and your fathers and your brothers and mothers, you know, taught you. Um, and it just kind of stuck with that, which there's there's some cool aspects of that. But nowadays, I mean, you can do anything you want to do, like anything, and experience anything you want to experience, and and gain that information, that knowledge, you know, from a vast number of people around the world. And it's it's pretty awesome. So, so. we've covered a lot of territory. You got any hot tips to share before you go, or closing thoughts? Just, uh, I, get, I mean, kind of in summary, like, I think it's important to not only experience the outdoors, but educate yourself on, like, the history and why we have these opportunities. And mm-hmm. For me, like, that just kind of fuels the fire, being able to, to you know, we, we celebrate the 4th of July and we celebrate Memorial Day and Veterans Day, and I'm not saying, you know, that folks making sacrifices for the freedoms that we have um, I'm not trying to make light of that in any way but I think one of the freedoms that we have is the the 
wild places of America and, mm-hmm. and being able to enjoy those. And um, they didn't they didn't come. They they had their own battles too, right? Yeah. There were many many opponents along the ways, and, and being able to read about you know conservation when it's when it was budding, like you know, authors like Aldo Leopold and and um, um, Bob Marshall, and, and just listening to you know their thoughts and and their experiences and what it cost them you know what what their lifestyles turned out to be just so that they could create these places that we get to enjoy yeah Um, you know i think that's that's awesome and so uh, not only get out and enjoy them but learn why they exist how they came to be and how you can keep them that way yeah Also, this food is delicious. Yeah. I would have said that even if it was disgusting, just because of all the, uh, the hoopla we went through. Yeah. To do it. But it does taste really, really good. <laughs> Finally, potatoes are soft enough to, to try. Yeah, for me, um, I think the main thing that I'm, I'm trying to accomplish with this, with this whole project is... Uh, just reinforcing every couple weeks the the desire, like fueling the desire in anyone who has the inkling to get outside and to experience it and to encourage them to do so. And uh, you know, along the way, I'm trying to tell a story. It's it's taken some meandering turns off off topic here and there, but the overall theme is just trying to uh, pursue. Uh, outdoor activity learn from those who know a little bit more than me and uh, get some experience and just share experiences I mean the the whole campfire discussion concept is kind of what this podcast has been founded on and what we're doing right now is exactly what I envision for this thing to be and uh, you know something that uh, my wife brought up um, the other day when we were kind of reflecting on um, how this thing's going so far and and uh, when I had mentioned that whole concept about wanting it to be more of a campfire feel, you know, she brought up the, the Meat Eater uh, show. And, and we watched we watch the Netflix series. I listened to the podcast a little bit here and there. Um, but uh, she just made the comment, you know, at the end of the show when they're kind of doing their reflection, it's, it's usually around a grill or around a fire or something and they're eating, you know, the spoils that they've that they've taken you know and um it just there's there's community and there's connection through events like this and so um part of the the inspiration to doing a show like this is to kind of give some tips and and display a little bit of uh the experience i have in cooking on an open flame but a lot of it just has to do with sharing some good conversation out around a campfire eating some good food and, and connecting so um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your Thanksgiving holiday to come and hang out in the woods for me with me for a little bit and cook some good food. And uh, appreciate you being a fan of the show. It's, uh, I, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, Justin was one of the ones that kind of got me into podcasts to begin with. And uh, I, I owe him a lot of gratitude because I don't know if I'd be doing this if I hadn't listened to those first couple episodes you sent my way. Yeah, so. I mean, we had the conversation, yeah, we should do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, dude, 
<laughs> you do that. <laughs> so, kudos to Tim for actually doing doing it. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, I've I've really enjoyed this process and and getting this thing rolling. I say it every episode, and eventually I'll stop because I'm I'm trying to <laughs> figure out the best way to wrap these shows up. But I just I'm continually impressed by just the uh, the support that I'm getting from not only those that agree to come on the show and and uh, join in the conversation, but you know those that tune in every week or every other week and you know support me on the the social media areas so uh big thanks to all of you guys who are continuing to support the show and and uh giving me your input and um i don't have any hot tips for you today except other than uh don't stick your hand in the fire and yeah. uh once again i appreciate uh justin for taking time to come on the show and uh supporting me along the way and encouraging encouraging me to do this project when i told him at the beginning i was gonna gonna start it he said good for you man i'm glad that <laughs> good for you i'm glad that you have that, that ambition sounds arduous <laughs> i'll watch sounds, from the sidelines that sounds like a lot of work i don't want to do but uh no it's been fun so um but if you haven't yet uh go check out our uh our social media pages and be a follower subscriber support the show how you can and uh, send me those hot tips and I'll pass them along to the audience but uh, until next time I'm Tim Garland and this is The Travel Connection